Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. The marvelous book of 1 John stresses the divine birth, the divine life, and the fellowship that all believers can experience and enjoy in the flow of this divine life. It is not a book of great doctrine, but rather it's a book, as is John's gospel, revealing the living and true God subjectively and experientially to mankind. Finally, in its concluding verses, it tells us that above all, we now possess the capacity to know Him, not just know about Him. Ron Kangas is with us today as we come to our final program in this life study of 1 John. You know, I hate to use a word like impressed because it's so overused, Ron, but I don't know what else to say. I've been so deeply impressed by the Apostle's burden and his desire to really usher all believers into the experiential knowing and enjoyment of the triune God. It's really marvelous, isn't it? It is. So let's unapologetically stay with this word impressed and apply it a little further. Certain things in this epistle need to make a deep and lasting impression on us as believers. Things such as eternal life is in the Son, and by having the Son, we have eternal life. And in this eternal life, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship. I would say, as we are at the end now of this particular study, we need to be especially impressed with John's mysterious writing at the very end of his epistle, in the last two verses, where he talks about, according to the usual translation, the true God, or the true one. The Greek literally says, the true. And this is in contrast to idols. So John wants to make a lasting impression on his readers, and we do well to be capable of receiving such an impression. I think you used a number of phrases there that I thought were helpful uh, and uh, accurate in describing this book. I think we've pointed out already in previous programs in uh, this life study of First John, John's gospel is uh, centered on this matter of the divine life. You know, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and I have come that you might have life. Yet it, there may be, uh, you know, kind of an abstract or mysterious quality to it. And here, even though uh, the mystery is still in this book as well, but it begins to put handles on a deep, mystical, experiential aspect of uh, the believer's organic union with God. I'd like to enlarge upon certain terms you used. Mystical. John really is mystical in a proper biblical sense of bringing us into direct contact with God 
in spirit in what we call the divine and mystical realm. And this proper contact, spiritual experience, is based on our organic union with Christ. We're not simply judicially reconciled to God and objectively at peace, but because we have been born of God and because the Spirit of God is mingled with our regenerated spirit, we in fact have an organic union with him. To live in this union, to draw upon John 15, is to be a branch abiding in the vine. When we live in this union by abiding in the vine, then we have all the experiences unveiled and presented in First John. Well, I've actually picked a verse from Paul to join a, a verse from uh, John for this first portion today. John begins this short epistle by talking about the word of life and the eternal life. He concludes it uh, with uh, some similar language. Let's look at verse 20 of chapter 5, the next to the last verse of this book. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then, as I mentioned, pick up a verse here from Paul in Colossians chapter 2. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ really the embodiment of God. And that is, uh, I think, really been developed as we've gone along in this, uh, this book of John's, the first epistle. Why don't we join Witness Lee, and then we'll come back to have some more fellowship. This book is mainly structured with uh, the divine birth and the divine life, then the divine fellowship and the divine anointing, and then all the virtues that uh, come out of uh, the divine birth. I hope that we all would have a deep impression concerning the divine birth that we have been begotten of God concerning the divine life as the divine seed sown into our being, then the divine fellowship for us to enjoy the riches of the divine life, and then the divine anointing for us to abide and fellowship with the Lord, and also all the uh, virtues that uh, we have out of the divine birth. We should be deeply impressed with the things. Now, verse 20, and we know the Son of God has come, that we might know the true one, and we are in the true one, in his Son, Jesus Christ. We just have this ability to know God, to experience God, to enjoy God, and to possess God. And this God, listen, is not termed God, but the true one. To see God is objective. To say the true one is subjective. In your experience, he has become the true one. What is the true one? That means reality. Now, this God has become 
our reality in our experience. The very objective God has now become our subjective reality. Not only so, but also we are in the true one. In this reality. We are in the true one in his son, Jesus Christ. We are in the true one by being in the Son, Jesus Christ. When you get into them, they not only are your true God, they also are your eternal life. Ron, this certainly is one of those verses that has a mysterious quality to it, a kind of abstract quality. But there are some very experiential, reality-oriented emphases in this verse as well. I was impressed that in the divine birth, we now possess a capacity, an ability to even know the triune God. And then this last point, especially, about being in him is equal to being in the eternal life. Would you like to pick up any of these things, Ron? 1 John 5.20 is, in my judgment, one of the most profound and spiritually significant verses in the entire New Testament. Here you have an exceedingly experienced elderly apostle making a marvelous declaration. He says, we know, not merely that we believe or we think, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. This understanding involves our having the divine life, and in this divine life we're able to know God. John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you. And understanding involves the mind, so the mind needs to be renewed, according to Romans 12. Because the Son has given us this understanding, we may know the true one. We may know the objective God, self-existing, ever-existing, true in himself. But now we know him experientially as the one who is real to us. Actually, the Greek simply says we know the true This is amazing, Chris. We know the reality. Then John goes on to say, for we are in the true one. That is, in the true. We're in this reality and in his Son because God the Father with his reality is in the Son who becomes this reality So we are in the true one and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life. The outcome of knowing the true one, the true God, and being in him and being in his son who declares that he himself is the life and the truth. We are in a realm where we can discover and testify This is eternal life. In this kind of union with the divine reality, we are in the realm of eternal life. John had said 
in seven verses previous in that same chapter that he wanted us to know that we have eternal life, which is in the Son, according to verses 11 and 12. Now, we are in the very one where the reality and the eternal life are, and we have the Christ-given ability to know the true one and to have a spiritual understanding of the true one, even as by being in the true one, we are experiencing him as eternal life. Wonderful, marvelous, amazing. Well, we want to stay, uh, I think, on this point. It is a very solid summary and conclusion to the whole book of First John, and I think kind of puts a punctuation point on so many of the points we've tried to make and emphasize in this life study. Let's go back to Witness Lee for this portion. Firstly, it doesn't say the true God. It says the true one and his son, Jesus Christ. When you got in, they become the true God and eternal life. What is this? This, dear saints, refers to the very God who is now becoming something so experiential to you because thus far you are no more outside of this God. You are in this God. God and Jesus Christ are no more objective to us because now we are in them. And when we are in them, they are one to us. Now this true God includes you and this eternal life includes you according to our experience. If we are not in him, to us, he's not true. If we are not in him, he's true in himself but not in us. To himself, he's real, he's true but to us, he's just air. I don't know, he's true. You see the point? But now I am in the true one. If I am not in him, Jesus Christ, he is the life, but not to me. You see? Now because I am in him, in Jesus Christ, so to me, this Jesus Christ is the eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. This word is so strong telling us that now we are experiencing the very God and we are experiencing Him within Him. This God and Jesus Christ is the true God to us and the eternal life to us. This is crucial. This is a crucial conclusion of the entire epistle. Eventually, here, the entire epistle shows us that now we are really one with this triune God. He becomes so true to us. He becomes a reality to us because we are in him. And he becomes life to us, the eternal life to us, because we are in him.
It seems we're back on the same point, but it gets developed a bit more here. There's a transition, and it seems to take place in this verse from the objectively true God who's outside of us to one who becomes our very subjective truth, our subjective reality. This is surely true, and it brings to the fore a sober consideration all of us and all of our listeners need to have. We would emphatically testify that even if no one believes God, no one speaks truth concerning God, he is, and he is true, and he is reality, and he is and has eternal life. This is an eternal fact. But as believers in Christ, who have received eternal life, and who have been born of God, we, in a sense, have a choice. Will we simply be content with a theological affirmation of the objective God, as necessary as this is? We would never minimize the need to proclaim the truth concerning God. But John doesn't stop there. He knows there's the true one. He knows that this one is the I am. But he himself was immersed in this one. He lived in the true one. He was constituted with the true one. He had an understanding of the true one. He experienced the true one. The objectively true God became an experience subjective reality to John. I know as a fact that certain theologians and certain theologically permeated preachers really are suspicious, if not fearful, of the subjective experiences of Christ revealed in the New Testament. But we will not share that. Actually, we will have to challenge that based upon such a verse. We are in the true one. We are in his Son, Jesus Christ. Then John says this, this referring to the totality of the truth that we are in the true one and in his Son, Jesus Christ, This then becomes, in our experience, eternal life. And life here is the triune God, objectively real in himself, becoming real to us in our experience. This is the testimony of the Apostle John. This was his burden toward the end of this epistle. And we, although feebly, would do the best to echo this burden today. God's people need to know the Son of God has come, has given us an understanding that we may know the true one, but we don't stop there. We are in the true one. We are in his Son. This 
is eternal life. This is the eternal triune God becoming reality and life to us in our actual experience day by day and moment by moment. And we would bless our listeners with such a marvelous experience and enjoyment of the true one. Well, we come to the last verse in the book, a very short, uh, just a few words, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Seems like a change of topic we'll see in this very short section by Witness Lee. It really is right on point. Then the last verse says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. What is an idol? Anything other than this God is an idol. Anything that replaces, anything that substitutes this subjective God, the very God whom you have experienced and whom you are still experiencing, anything that is other than this God, replacing this God, substituting this God, that is an idol. Surely by such a kind of enlightenment, we could see and understand these verses in a very experiential way. Very interesting. Uh, John here at the end of this book, obviously is not talking about idols in the classic Old Testament definition. He's really talking about the kind of idols that we as believers are faced with uh, day by day, aren't we? He is, and we may say they are in two main categories. And John is understanding these idols subjectively. Guard yourselves. This is quite an active verb, this imperative. You need to protect yourselves, your being, right, your inner being from idolatrous substitutes for the true one, for his son, for Jesus Christ, for eternal life. So the two categories for this brief presentation are these. First, there's the things of the world and the things of this age and the things of our human life that we love more than God. So it could be a sport. It could be a car. It could be music. It could be some type of enjoyment. It could be a person. It could be some object that we love. Ezekiel's word, actually it was God's word through Ezekiel, when he said, Son of man, these people have idols in their hearts. So idols in the hearts are obviously not stone and wood. They are things that are occupying our being, usurping the place that belong to God. Then there's another category that pertains more to theology and to heresy. John is combating a heresy of an early form of Gnosticism that denied that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come in the flesh. 
denied the incarnation and therefore denied the totality of God's salvation. So heretical teachings deny the person and work of Christ. They can be idols, usurping the mind. And some are actively promoting these these kind of teachings, and we must guard ourselves against them. But in this category, there's something even more subtle. And I realize that this may come across as provocative or controversial, and I don't mean to be controversial, but I need to be faithful to present the matter. It is possible for us to make a doctrine that we're fond of, a theological system that we embrace, a substitute for the true one in our life. For instance, Calvinism and the Reformed theology issuing from it strongly emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Well, God is sovereign, but it is possible, and I know it's even actual, for the doctrine of sovereignty to replace the God who is sovereign. So we will not allow anything of the world, any object, any person, certainly not any heresy, and even not any doctrine, to be an idol replacing the true one, the eternal life, who is in our hearts. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Please call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for being with us through this whole life study of 1 John, and thank you for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find more about Witness Lee, these life study messages, or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.